This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. Shall we begin? Sometimes afraid of things they don't know. Ah, we have found him, our star. Everyone shall love you and call your name Pinocchio. Pinocchio. BFM eighty nine point nine. You're listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn Sharmila and Arvin, and just in time for Christmas and. You know, family hangouts. Uh, today we are talking about the second Pinocchio movie to have come out this year. Um, there was one that was not super well received, <laughs> I have to say. Uh, but this second one is a stop motion animation by Guillermo del Toro. Uh, it's directed by del Toro as well as Mark Gustafsson. I'm just going to straight up say I really enjoyed watching this. Um, I've been looking forward to this Del Toro Pinocchio project for all of the years that it's been announced and stopped and started and stopped and started again. And Which is exactly how they animated the characters. Uh, yeah. and and <laughs> nice, nice. Yes, very meta project. Uh, no, I, I loved it. it I, I will admit that there are things about it that are flawed, but I still loved watching the movie. I will never fully understand how or why Guillermo del Toro still, to this day, right, finds it difficult to get funding for his movies in Hollywood or why Hollywood studios just don't give him lots and lots of money. Um, he's easily one of the best filmmakers working today. Um, you can see like his passion literally in all of his work. Like he he doesn't uh, just phone in his projects. Um, and, and the guy's movies gets nominated for like awards and he wins stuff all the time. They're powerful. You know, they're the, 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 the visuals are powerful. The story is powerful. I, I, I don't know because this version of Pinocchio, I think is easily my favorite of all the versions that has come out. It's beautiful and it's weird and it's unsettling. Um, and it's just really a good movie at the end of the day. I just don't know why he doesn't get the shine that he's supposed to get. Like, why isn't he a bigger name or, or a household name? Uh, because he walks away from projects like The Hobbit when they gave him the money. <laughs> there, There is absolutely that. I, I think there is something about Guillermo del Toro that's just movie nerd loves to make movies exactly the way he wants to make them. And, and that's mm. what mm. he does. And so even if you give him the money, uh, you need to know that there's going to be a water monster and there's going to be, you know, <laughs> like, you need to know these things. There will be monsters. There will be hands and eyes. There, there will, will be, be trips down nasal cavities. Yes. <laughs> you just need mm-hmm. to accept these things. And I think most people funding movies don't want to accept these things, maybe for good reason. Um, Pinocchio is, I think, um, I I surely don't need to tell the story about the puppet and the real boy and all the rest of it. Um, But I think it's worth mentioning that this version of Pinocchio has a uh, an overlay of fascism and war um, alongside the traditional story, right? So you have, uh, for example... 
someone who belongs, uh, someone who is a fascist who looks at a puppet who can come back to life and says, you know what you need to do? We need to get you to join the army. So um, it, there is a level of complexity to the story that that is an important one. There is also a seriousness and a darkness, again, as you would expect with a Guillermo del Toro work that pervades the whole thing. It's not as straightforward. It's already quite a dark fairy tale on its own. And this film makes it darker. Oh, this movie, actually, at some points I started wondering, because they, they do say that it's meant for young viewers, but not so young, perhaps. Uh, but there are definite parts of it that are either really tragic or really disturbing. Um, and I started thinking, oh, if you are watching this with your kids, I mean, I think having you there would be helpful. Um, <laughs> because some parts of it are, are quite disturbing. Um, I did want to say that Del Toro has been very open about the fact that he has always wanted to... Um, he was very inspired by illustrator Gris Grimley. And, and so this is his homage to his illustrations. So there's a weirdness to the illustrations. There's a, a definite horror aesthetic to so many of the scenes. Can I just say that Pinocchio blinks, but then behind his eyes... There's nothing. His Pinocchio, eyes are holes. Pinocchio is quite terrifying, honestly. He really is. When you the, see the back of his head, yes. like sometimes you're like, oh my god, like what? It looks like a like a half severed head. The bolts sticking out of his yeah, shoulders. Yeah. Like, like there's a lot going on here. I know, and and all of those are relevant examples because even the scene when Geppetto makes him, honestly, reminded me of like Frankenstein. Like it reminded me of scenes from Frankenstein because and. That's just what Del Toro does, right? But I love, I love that that's the Pinocchio we got. Again, this is why the money thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I also think the, the movie's biggest problem is the fact that it is called Pinocchio. Um, because the character is such a staple in Disney, at Disney. Um, and I think 99% of people think that that is all there is to the story, right? The puppet who wants to be a real boy. And then you have like Jiminy Cricket and all that stuff. Um and when you call a new thing Pinocchio, just months after the old Pinocchio had a live action remake on Disney Plus, like how much more Pinocchio can people take in a year, right? In the span of six months. And I think that that label doesn't do it justice and doesn't sell how, just how unorthodox and trippy this movie can get. And then calling it Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio doesn't help either because, like I said, he's not a household name. So it's not like you're saying it's Christopher Nolan's Pinocchio or Steven Spielberg's Pinocchio for people to suddenly pay attention like, oh, this is a completely different thing. You know what I mean? Like Guillermo del Toro's name on that poster doesn't set it apart enough for people to give it as much as as much attention as they should, I think. And there's a fair amount of the story that's changed. If you're expecting the 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 fairy, um, she doesn't show up. Jiminy technically doesn't show up. Instead, we have Sebastian mm. J. Cricket, who is um, a more problematic take, I think, on the on the <laughs> on traditional Jiminy. And overall, it is a different story. The the way the story unfolds is different. Um, the scenes involving, um, say, a fox or a donkey in the previous iterations of the story just not present. And and all that is for the good, I think. Although to your point, Arvin, I think it is true that it is true that I'm not sure who, aside from film fans, would have been excited for this movie. Because if you are a Pinocchio fan, and I don't know who is does that exist? People who are fans of Pinocchio, like Hello Kitty or something? <laughs> like, I'm not sure. Maybe, you know, a niche group of fans. Perhaps. Um, but, you know, if, if you love Pinocchio, if you love fairy tales, say, then this is not going, this might not necessarily hit that mark because it is so dark. Um, I, I don't know. I really liked it. 
I thought when you said the biggest problem with it being called Pinocchio, um, being the biggest problem with the film is that it's called Pinocchio. I thought you were going to talk about Pinocchio because I do have problems with the kid himself. Uh, this was a problem I had with Goonies. This is a problem I have had with uh, Shrieky Children. Mm. I think mm-hmm. I just hit my limit very early with the, oh boy, oh boy, and, and the endless questions. And I'm like, burn him! Can I just say <laughs> that the moment he started shrilling, I immediately thought, oh, I wonder what Lin's going to think about this. Oh, well, Lin did not like it <laughs> in, in answer to that question. He does get a bit shrill. Um, I wanted to say firstly, though, aren't we all collectively glad that the f- that the Disney Pinocchio that came out a few months ago was so terrible that nobody watched it? Because if that had been hmm. a big deal and it had been good, and, and look, to be fair, I'm enough of a classic Disney fan that I wish it had been better. Tom Hanks as Geppetto would have been great. A Pinocchio some... fan. It emerges <laughs> out of the woodwork. Apparently a Pinocchio mm-hmm. fan exists. Um, but the fact that that bombed so badly that no one's even talking about it, I think means that perhaps more people will be excited by this. It's coming out in the holiday season. It's coming on the wake of Wednesday, which is another sort of creepy, weird thing that nobody thought would become a big deal. So I have hopes that this might become a bigger deal than we expect. I... I... Yeah, I was just going to say I agree about the shrill annoyingness about Pinocchio. Sometimes, not all the time, um, he sings sometimes, and those are lovely. Uh, but I I liked it, but but yeah, sometimes, and I think he's meant to be annoying. You know, so he is. He's mm. meant to um, have that childlike innocence, and I think that maybe parents will have greater uh, patience for. Oh, I was going to say I thought parents would be more triggered. See, this is the problem. I don't <laughs> I know. Think so. I think yeah, so. I'm not sure. <laughs> No, no, I think parents are definitely going to be super triggered, uh, even if they're not. Um, like two slaps for this one. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, a, he's like a PSA for anyone who wants kids. You know, he's like, think about it carefully. You know, it's not, he's not like the sweet and innocent puppet that we know from Disney. Um, he's dumb and he's shrill. Uh, he's hyperactive. Um, and just like in terms of workmanship, right? Um, not something that Geppetto should put on his resume. Um, he doesn't look that good. So yeah, like like just very annoying and very horrific looking. He's great, like as a as a centerpiece of the movie, but oof. It takes a while. It takes a while. I think the first half hour of Pinocchio is uh, as in Pinocchio coming to life. That first half hour was a challenge. I, I, I did think like, okay, I'm not sure about this, but. The film's beauty, which I think we can talk about in the second half of the movie, the film's beauty, the meticulous care to detail, the the way it's so lovingly put together sustained me through the scream yell songing. So that helped. Um, We're talking today about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, um, which is just out on Netflix. Have you seen it yet? Do you plan to? WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Building fit... Malaysians, BFM 89.9. Ciao, Papa, Mio Papa. Time has come to say farewell. For how long will I go? Is it far? No one knows, no one can tell. If I am gone for a long, long time, I'll pack away a fine piece of shine. The sounds of birds jumping with bells. BFM 89.9, you are listening to Popcorn Culture with Lynn, Shamlan, Arvin, and together we're reviewing Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is a stop motion animation retelling of the classic story. So um, let's talk about the artistry 
in the film because there's quite a lot to talk about, whether it's the puppets, uh, whether it's the voice work, whether it's Del Toro working again with Desplat and creating this beautiful kind of very interesting take on the musical. There's so much about the crafting of this film. You know, when I watch movies like Pinocchio and I think about stop motion, my brain actually breaks a bit because sometimes I'm looking at what's happening on screen and I'm like, how do they do that? Like, how do they make them blink and make those expressions? How do they make it look like... And, and they're all objects, right? Like they're, they're created objects that are made to look that way. There are scenes in this film when you look at the grain on Pinocchio's head or body um, and you look at the way uh, the cricket moves. It's such a beautiful, beautifully crafted film. And I don't mean that it's beautiful because things look beautiful. There are things that just look abjectly weird and creepy. But I think it's all of a piece. And it's, I love how much effort and thought went into this movie. They had like this small snippet or like this short video on one of the Netflix uh, social media channels showing you how Guillermo del Toro made the puppets and animated the puppets. Um, I, I didn't watch all of it because I was like, why? Why do people put themselves through so much torture <laughs> to do this? Like we have CGI and Pixar has showed us that you can do so much in animation. Um, I don't want to... I don't even want to begin to think how they animated the movie like this or how long it took them. Um, people get, I get lazy organizing photos on my phone in the gallery. <laughs> also like, I just, I cannot understand it. Like Wes Anderson, Guillermo del Toro, Tim Burton. Um, it, it's crazy. Like. It's the, the amount of work that goes into it and the amount of work that goes into making it look as beautiful as it does. All like them being physically there, animating it bit by bit, centimeter by centimeter. Um, I, I don't know if I want to like slow clap or shake my head or appreciate the movie more. I, I don't think I've appreciated the movie more on Netflix or on anything this year, actually, as much as I did Pinocchio, just because of the, the workmanship and the time and the effort put into an art form that doesn't even need to exist in 2022. Watching the light play across their faces yes. is, is something else yes. because it highlights the grain, it highlights the weird eyelids as they blink. <laughs> Just, you know, it's it's all these different things. And there are scenes involving uh, Sebastian J. Cricket getting smushed or getting injured. And witnessing the way they do it and also seeing uh, Guillermo del Toro hold up like weird smashed um, Sebastian puppets was, <laughs> you know it's really something else it's such a beautiful beautiful movie and that extends to its message I think how much or how little you want to relate to the the war is bad um, fascists are evil kind of messaging that permeates the film is up to you what I related to a lot was grief um, grief, time moving on, children needing to get used to that, people needing to get used to that, what it means to love somebody, what it means to lose someone, um, the expectations you have of others to to be something that they aren't supposed to be. I think all of that was very beautifully realised. And Shamila, I, I take the point earlier about um, would this be horrifying for younger viewers? I think it would. I think that there are parts of it that are tough. Um, I've spoken before on air, I think, about how the original Monstro scared me so badly that I ripped through the house screaming for my mother, which is the only time I've ever had that reaction to a film. And this Monstro did the same. When, mm. at, at, there's a moment where the whale's eye opened and I felt a primordial fear and I was like, I don't know how children watch this. Do they call it Monstro? I'm not sure. Uh. I'm just assuming it's Monstro. But, um, but with all that said, all this stuff about love and loss and growing up and growing up maybe without your parents in time, I thought that that would be lovely to watch at any age. 
I think the messages, there, there's so many um, themes. I, I don't like saying message maybe because it sounds so didactic, but mm. I think the themes are definitely the kind of thing that you could watch with your children and sort of talk through. And, and you know, movies, particularly movies geared at children are great at these sorts of things, right? Even the thing about imperfect parents and, and how parents can make mistakes, um, loss and dealing with loss, learning to love again. There's so much here. Um, even... Even the fact that loving someone is sometimes not enough to keep them with you. Um, there were moments when I uh, when I teared up because it was just quite difficult to watch the the themes like this manifest in the film. Um, and there are also other things, right? Like choices about life and death and what it means uh, to have uh, perhaps eternal life and, and what it means to the people around you. And I think it handled those things so beautifully. So, so beautifully. I mean... Pixar does the same thing, right? A lot of times, like they deal with very heavy themes and subjects, um, but they know how to sugarcoat it a lot. And Guillermo del Toro, I think, just went, I don't care. Um, he's just going to talk <laughs> about it openly and, and just get direct to the point. Because I was also thinking about the the old Pinocchio and some of the nightmare fuel from that movie and, and how it traumatized like a whole generation of kids growing up. And, and those were some very weirdly psychedelic, trippy scenes. This movie doesn't even care about any of that stuff. Like it, it, it's literally asking like, oh, you thought the whale was creepy in the 2D animated one. Uh, there's, there's supernatural stuff here. There's like reality transcending existential stuff, some paranormal stuff. There's a psychotic um, monkey that can or cannot talk. I'm not sure. That's voiced by Kate Blanchett yes, for Blanchett. some reason. Yes, Blanchett. Yes, Spatsatura. Yeah. Um, the stuff about lifetime, mortality. Uh, Tilda Swinton, of course, is there again, you know, voicing like the, the perfect characters. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it says for ages seven and up. I don't know which seven and up can, can go into this and not come out with a whole bunch of other questions about their own existence. Yeah. Can we talk more about Kate Blanchett? Well, not not Kate Blanchett specifically, but the voice work, yes. the voice work. Because um, firstly, when I saw Kate Blanchett come up in the credits, I was like, ah, I knew it, I knew it. She was the wood sprite until the Swinton was death, or the other way around. And it turns out, no, until the Swinton is both, and Kate Blanchett's the monkey. Yeah. So that was that was a whole trip on its own. Um, but also the voice work's really lovely. Um, I don't know if anybody knew that David Bradley could go warm and cuddly after seeing his turn as Walder Frey. And Argus Filch. Yes, um, I exactly. I mm-hmm. Filch's face and then looking at Geppetto and thinking, how are you this lovable? Yeah, it's just wonderful. And I think Ewan McGregor, uh, I love I love Ewan McGregor's voice. Uh, I love it even when he you can see him and he's just using it as a normal actor. But I also think he's actually really rather a lovely voice actor. Oh, he was great as the cricket. Immediately recognizable, yes, I have to say. Yes. Uh, but also Christoph Waltz as Count Volpe. Um, oh my who, God. Who, again, immediately recognizable because the moment he starts speaking with that oily accent, you're like, oh, that's Christoph Waltz. And mixing languages. Yes. Um, I thought the voice work was just brilliant overall. Same. Um, I loved all of them. The moment Christoph Waltz showed up, I was like, oh, okay. So he's he's playing yet another sleazy, slimy, <laughs> dirtbag sort of character. But it's so cool, right? Because he can do both. And he can do both so well. Like when he wants to sound like a good guy, you actually believe that he's a good guy in the film. Like you completely understand how he's putting on that that face, right? Um, yeah, loved it. Like just the, the the choices of except for Kate Blanchett. Again, don't know why. <laughs> Everyone else was so spot on. Kate Blanchett was spot on. We just don't know why she chose to be the monkey. It doesn't change the fact that she was actually spot on. And the monkey 
playing other characters yes, as well. Yes. It was insane. Yes. Like I knew it was her. And then when those scenes happened, I'm just like, what is happening right now? It's just a special film. I, I do think people should, I, I would recommend it. I would recommend it thoroughly. I think that if you have a higher threshold though for weirdness, you'll enjoy it more. I agree. I think that you need to go in kind of being a little bit okay with things being weird. They're not so weird that you can't enjoy it as you would most animated films. But just like, yeah, a little open-mindedness towards things getting a bit weird. But at the same time, right, like we usually say like this isn't a weekend film or this isn't like a, a casual Saturday watch, a Sunday watch. This is such a casual yeah. watch. Yeah. You yes. Know? yes. It's it's such a perfect like rainy Friday night or rainy Saturday night just to put on Netflix and watch. Um, it's so easy, so casual. It gets you thinking, but it's so casual. If I can just double down on what Sharmila said at the start of the show, please don't put it on for your children and leave them. I, I think that this is not the kind of thing mm. that you can pop on and then, uh, you know, kind of go off and, and do things. It is the kind of thing you do need to sit down with them and watch they will have questions I think I think it's a family movie in that sense a really good watch for like the whole family to sit down I think adults will actually enjoy this very much as well and also allocate time for it to answer those questions because those (laughs) those questions are going to pop up once you've seen the movie and also they'll start saying oh boy oh boy and then you'll just have to live (laughs) with that after Uh, we've been talking today about Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio the second Pinocchio movie to come out in 2022 oddly enough Uh, let us know if you've watched it if you plan to uh, WhatsApp 018-789-8899 tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at movies at bfm.my You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.